Welcome to the First Baptist Barberville Weekly Sermon Podcast. At FBC Barberville, our mission is to gather, grow, give, and go. Join us for live worship on the Court Square in Barberville, Kentucky, or to learn more about our church, visit fbcbarberville.com. Here is Pastor Tyler Shields. everybody's had a good week this week. Certainly great to see everybody and I appreciate you being here this beautiful Sunday morning to be here at First Baptist Church in Barberville. No better place to be, I promise you, than right here this morning. I love starting out our services with some baptisms and Lord willing we've got some more baptisms scheduled. You realize that we, I think we've baptized somebody this year just about as many Sundays as we have not, maybe more Sundays we've had baptisms than no baptisms, which praise the Lord for that, right? This morning, we're going to be in First Chronicles 13, one of those history books early in the Old Testament. Last week, we were in the book of Psalms, where we'd been for a few weeks at that point, kind of reading through David's thoughts, David's prayers, and uh, joining David last week and giving thanks to the Lord. So this week, we're going to move away from the Psalms for a little while, move back into the history books, and at this point, just start following the life of King David uh, again. King David, to me, is one of the most fascinating characters in the the Old Testament. I mean, we have more information about his life than, than just about anybody else. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a story during David's time as king, during his early time as king, here in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, that... It's one of those stories we, we we're familiar with, but sometimes we just kind of breeze by it because it's it's a little confusing, if we're honest. It's kind of hard to wrap your mind around what's going on here, and it can even be troubling when you start thinking about why is God not just letting this happen? Why is God doing this? And so we'll talk a little bit about that as we go along. So this morning we're talking about the best of intentions. I'm trying so hard, church. Not to bust out in a Travis Tritt song right now. <laughs> I've worked on this, uh, so I'm going to try not to do it. All right. Some of the worst things that have ever happened have happened with the best of intentions. If we're honest this morning, we'll probably have to admit, if we look back over the course of our own lives, many of our own life blunders, many of these things that we shouldn't have done, looking back, we're probably done. With the best of intentions. We're probably done because we didn't stop and think about it and think it through and consider the consequences. We didn't take the time to pray about it and ask God what He actually wanted us to do or whatever the case may be. But we'll see in the text this morning, at this point in the biblical narrative, that David is is now finally the the united king of, of most of Israel at this point. Okay? And David's hope is to start setting things in spiritual order. He, he's a, a warrior. Saul's out of the picture. Saul's household is out of the picture. But now David, being a man of God, wants to set the spiritual tone for the nation. And so David's hope, his plan, is to bring the Ark of God's Covenant to Jerusalem, the same ark we read about months ago that was with Moses, that was with Joshua, that's been passed around to a few different places. How many, do you remember reading about the story where the Philistines captured the ark? I thought that was one of the coolest stories. They capture the ark, take it back to their cities, and it just curses them. They get tumors, they get all, all kinds of problems, so they ship it back to Israel. 
Well, now it's been in safekeeping for a little while now in the house of a man by the name of Aminadab. And the intent at this point of the story, again, is to simply bring the ark to Jerusalem. Sounds simple, right? Let's read 1 Chronicles 13 together. The Bible says that David consulted with all his leaders, the commanders of hundreds and of thousands. Then he said to the whole assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if this is from the Lord our God, let's spread out and send the message to the rest of our relatives in all the districts of Israel, including the priests and Levites in their cities with pasture lands, that they should gather together with us. Then let's bring back the ark of our God, for we did not inquire of him in Saul's day. Since the proposal seemed right to all the people, the whole assembly agreed to do it. So David assembled again all Israel from the Shahor of Egypt to the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath Jerim. And David and all Israel went to Baalah, that is Kiriath Jerim, that belongs to Judah, to take from there the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord who is enthroned between the cherubim. At Abinadab's house, they set the ark of God on a new cart. Uzzah and Ahio were guiding the cart. David and all Israel were dancing with all their might before God with songs and with lyres, harps, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. When they came to Shidon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to hold the ark because the oxen had stumbled. Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him dead because he had reached out to the ark. So he died there in the presence of God. And David was angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. So he named that place Outburst Against Uzzah, as it is still named today. David, notice this, David feared God that day and said, How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? So David did not bring the ark of God home to the city of David. Instead, he diverted it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of God remained with Obed-Edom's family in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed his family and all that he had. You know, I, I read this story, and there's a lot of questions that come up, but one of the first things that stands out to me is that from the very beginning of time here on planet Earth, humans have struggled with very simple directions. You think about it, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, we've talked about this before, God tells Adam and Eve, you can eat from anything in this garden except for this one tree. And it's almost like they have to process this. So we can literally eat anything but, but that. Yeah, exactly. Don't eat that. Anything else goes. And what do they do? They eat the one thing they're not supposed to eat. It should have been simple. We've, we struggle with instructions. I struggle with simple instructions. I think it's human nature. I actually pulled out a t-shirt this week and I looked at the, the little tag on the inside that tells you how you're supposed to wash your t-shirt. And it, was, it said 100% cotton. And then the, the direction said, just give it to your mom. She already knows how. And then I thought about one time I was sitting at a uh, sushi place and they bring out the little packs of... Uh, uh, chopsticks and, and normally most chopsticks 
will have a set of pictures on them that tells you how you're supposed to twist your hands up and work these chopsticks, right? Because we always forget every time we go back. Well, this one didn't have any, any pictures on it. It just said, instructions, good luck. So at least they finally realized we're never going to get this right. Anyway, we struggle with instructions. And from the, from the time that God gave Israel instructions on how to build the ark, He also gave them instructions on how to handle that very ark. And so He gave them instructions on how to transport it, how to act around it, how to behave in its presence, because the ark itself represented the very presence of God among His people. And with God's presence comes all of God's holiness and all of God's righteousness and all of God's justice, which we see here in First Chronicles. Chronicles 13. And so there's four principles I want to point out to you this morning, and this is especially good for anyone in leadership, but it's good for all of us too. And the first one's this. This is so important to remember. Consensus. Consensus does not equal God's will. And so we typically follow the consensus, right? We typically lead by consensus. Societies are run by consensus. The majority always does what? Maybe I'm off here. I think the majority rules most of the time. So the problem with that concept is that sometimes even the majority is wrong. Even the majority can want to head in the wrong direction or do something that's not godly. So even if all of the people in a particular organization or in a particular nation, or even in a particular church, if they're all in full agreement about what needs to be done and the direction they need to go, there's a chance that that might not be the direction God wants them to go. Because people, even in large groups who are all in full agreement, are at the end of the day, not infallible, but fallible, imperfect people. And they could be wrong. The Israelites in our story wanted to do the right thing. At least that's what they said. But the Bible says David consulted all his leadership. He spoke to the whole assembly of Israel. They sent messages out to all the districts of evil. And the proposal, the Bible says, seemed right to all the people. However, even if there's unity about something, what if that something's not the best thing? What if that something is not God's will? And so their proposal, their, their plan that they came up with... I believe it was made and formed with the best of intentions. But they went about it in the wrong way. And that would end up costing them very dearly. It would literally have deadly consequences. Consensus is great. Unity is great. One of the things that I always encourage our prayer team to pray for is unity in our congregation. But I want us to be unified for the right things. 1932, there was a presidential election that took place that would literally change the world. Not only for the next 10 years or so, but for the rest of the 20th century. This election was that dire. So in 1932, some 14 million Germans cast a vote for the candidate that they believe would bring their nation, Germany, back to its former glory and that status prior to World War I. And then over the next decade, that candidate whom they elected, their new leader, Adolf Hitler, would be the one that would launch a campaign of evil and consolidate all the national power, resulting in, as we know now, countless loss of lives, millions, literally millions of Jews killed, and would bring nearly the entire world into a world war. The people were in agreement. This is the man. This is what we need to do. But it had very deadly consequences and certainly wasn't the right thing to do. 
Consensus does not always equal God's will. But sometimes consensus goes even further than just agreement. It goes to action. And even unified action, our second point this morning, does not equal God's will. In our text, the people not only agreed in unison, but they all took part in what David wanted to do. Verse 5 tells us that David assembled all people, all Israel, from Shahor of Egypt to Hamath. Now, if you look at a map of ancient Israel, that's literally from one end of the country to the other. They all came together and they all wanted to go to the place where the ark was being kept, to Abinadab's house. And the Bible says they even built a new cart on which to transport it. Everybody was in on this. And their, their intentions were good. I want you to realize that. They meant something good in this. But their actions were wrong. Again, God, if you go back into the heart of the law, God had given the people very specific, very detailed instructions on how to deal with, how to move, how to handle His ark. Again, it represented His presence. It was never supposed to be on a cart the, the ark was supposed to be carried on poles, carried not just by any old body, but by the Levites. And the poles went through the rings, and the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders. And, and that would have eliminated all these problems in the first place. But they didn't follow God's instructions. And at least one family paid dearly for it. And so did David's reputation. It reminds me of what our parents used to tell us when we were young and little. We'd do something foolish, and we'd go home and we'd tell mom, and they'd ask us, why'd you do that? And we'd say, well, because so-and-so's doing it, right? Everybody's doing this, and what would they say? Just because everybody's doing it, don't make it right. You know, that, that's a simple analogy, but I, I thought about that this week. There's a lot of Grown-ups, there's a lot of Christians that need to hear just because everybody's doing it don't make it right. Just because everybody's thinking that way doesn't mean they're thinking the same thing. Just because these other churches are doing whatever does not mean it's the right or even godly thing to do. Think about our society, folks. Think about how much our society has changed in the last 10, certainly the last 20 years. And I think a lot of Christians have become confused about the possibility of God's standards changing just because society is changing. That we've got confused in thinking about that maybe morality has changed. Maybe we had it wrong back in the day and things are progressing. Maybe God's truth has changed because, again, the standards of our society and our culture has changed. But listen, God hasn't changed. God's standards haven't changed. And just because everybody else is doing X, Y, and Z certainly doesn't mean that that's right. We need to hear the voice of mom and dad again. Reminding us of those words. So that we're not afraid to be the one person or the one family or the one church that's taking the time to ask God what He wants. And standing up for what God wants. Unified action does not always equal God's will. And we're seeing denominations torn apart with that right now. That takes us to our third point. Heart of our message this morning. Even the best of intentions does not always equal God's will. Notice just how into this whole thing everybody was. I, I, it's fascinating. Their hearts were in this. Verse 8 tells us that David... And all of Israel, first they were all dancing. That's how we know they weren't Baptists yet. 
they were all dancing and making music and they had all these instruments and it was just this incredible celebration, this incredible procession going to get the, the Ark of God's Covenant and bring it back. It was a joyful thing they thought they were doing and they had the very best of intentions under the leadership of King David, the, the one that they'd all rallied around, who I think also had the best of intentions. And here's the thing, in principle they were correct, but in practice they were wrong. Have you ever been there? In theory, this is right, but maybe I need to go about it a more godly way. In the middle of all this celebration, and this is where a lot of our questions come in. In the middle of this singing, in the middle of this dancing, and things are just going so great, and all of a sudden, one ox stumbles, the ark starts to rock a little bit, and poor old Uzzah reaches his hand out, and he just touches that ark. Now, I think Uzzah even had the best of intentions. Who, who would want the ark to fall on the ground? But what happens? I mean, I feel bad for him. In the middle of all this chaos and celebration and praise, God himself strikes this man dead. And you ask, Why? How could God do this? Why would God do this to this man? He was just trying to help. Shouldn't ever been in this situation in the first place. God's ark should never been on the cart. Pulled by some animals. Headed back to where it needed to be. And a regular old man should never had his hands on God's holy ark. And it's hard in your mind to wrap your, around, your mind around God's justice in this situation. But again, that ark in this day, we forget how important it was. That it literally represented God among His people. The very presence of, as David said last week, the Most High. His presence, His holiness right there among the people. You don't just touch God's presence. King David is angry. I think he's angry for one, striking Uzzah dead. He can't wrap his mind around this either in that moment. I think David's also angry at himself because he has set up this thing that, that now has embarrassed not only him and his leadership, it's embarrassed the nation. And he's realizing for maybe for the first time in this story that all the people, in spite of their good intentions, had made a very terrible mistake. And he's angry. My point is, we've got to be so careful, church, about the things that we mean well with. The things that we do that we think we're doing something good. We've got to be careful on how we go about that. The things that we say, they may be... I'm, I do this all the time. I say the most well-intended things, but my goodness, it just comes out the wrong way. And we've got to be careful about that. And the words that we use, the actions that we do. It may be well-intended, but it might not be godly. I think we can have the best of intentions. We can be in complete agreement with everybody else. We can be absolutely 100% unified in what we're wanting to do. And we can still, listen carefully, in spite of all that, we can still find ourselves in direct disobedience to God and His will. This is dangerous ground we've got to be careful with. 
And that takes us to our final point. Because here's, here's the question. It, 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 even if we're all in agreement, we think this is what God wants, even though we, the Bible doesn't say they really prayed about it. We think this is what God wants. We're all in agreement about it. We're all doing it together, headed in the same direction. But if that's not what God wants, then what does God actually want? Full obedience is God's will. That's our final point this morning. God wants you to obey Him. God wants you to obey Him with the big things. God wants you to obey Him with the little things. David realizes the mistakes that have been made. And he gains, the Bible says, he gains a new fear and respect for the person of God. He realizes this is not just a box that we're toting around. I'm dealing with the holiest of holy gods, the creator of the universe. And after seeing God's judgment for this disobedience, he realizes this is so much bigger than what I thought it was. And we read that this ark, at this point, they can't continue on the way they're going. The Bible says they divert the ark to the house of a man named Obed-Edom. How many, how many like that name? Obed? Would you name your child Obed-Edom? It's one of these characters that we just kind of glance over, right? But Obed-Edom is probably one of the most underestimated characters in the Old Testament. Why? Because God allowed Obed-Edom to take in his Ark of the Covenant for at least three months. And it's in those three months that he cared for the Ark of God's Covenant the way that it was supposed to be cared for. He took care of it. He respected the very presence and the holiness of God. And for his obedience and for carefully living in God's presence, the Bible says that God blessed him and his family. Not only during that time, but for the next several generations, Obed-Edom's family were allowed to serve the Lord as Levites and minister to the Lord for generations. This is such a reminder that more than anything else in your life, God wants your obedience. You can tithe your money if, if He asks you to. You can go on mission trips if He asks you to. But God wants you not to just have big processions and celebrations and fanfare. All, that's all well and good and if it's done right. But God wants you to obey Him with the most minute details every single day. Like getting up and spending time with your Maker every single day. Spending time in His Word every day. Spending time talking with Him and communing with Him in prayer every day. Sharing your faith and teaching these children and others to follow Christ as the Great Commission commands all of us. He just wants your simple obedience. You know, the Bible says that God prefers obedience even more than sacrifice. He just wants you to listen to Him. He just wants you to do what He says and trust Him along the way. This past Wednesday night, we played a video from now the late, great Charles Stanley. And one of the things he says, when you trust the Lord in obedience, it means you're also trusting Him with the consequences of that obedience. If God's asking you to do something, don't worry about the second and third order of effects. Just do what God says and obey Him. He'll take care of all the rest. And you won't have to worry about it. So in closing this morning, I want to ask you, really that's what this passage boils down to. Is obedience. And I want to ask you, how is your obedience to the Lord this morning? Can you honestly say that you're obeying God with the things that you're doing, the way that you're living, the way that you're raising your children and your families, the way you're leading them? Are you obeying God with your career? Are you obeying the Lord with what He wants you to do through the ministries of the church and serving Him?
You see, full obedience, that's it. There's no other form of obedience. Delayed obedience is still disobedience. Half-hearted obedience, you're going to do it, but you're going to do it begrudgingly. Guess what? I think that's still disobedience. God wants full obedience to Him. There's an old adage we're all familiar with that says the best, the road to hell is paved with what? The best of intentions. And all these should-haves and meant-tos and could have done better and could have done different. I don't think God cares about our should-haves and meant-tos and all that. He just wants you to be obedient this morning. You say, Pastor, what does that look like? What does this really mean practically? Well, ask yourself how obedient you are even in these small things. It, what's, what's the next thing that God is asking you to do? You know it's there in the back of your head. God's already planted that seed in your heart. What is that next thing that God wants you to do in obedience to Him? Maybe for you this morning, that next thing is beginning a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ and being saved and being forgiven of your sins. That's the next step you need to take. Maybe you've done that and the next step for you is to go up here and follow these kids' example and be baptized in obedience to the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe the next step for you is to get plugged into a Sunday school or get plugged into a way to serve or... It's right here on the altar. Come and help with Bible school. Maybe that's your next step for following the Lord in obedience. But no matter who you are or where you're at in life, I promise you this. God has something for you to do. And as we close in prayer, I want you to ask the Lord, God, how can I be more obedient to you this morning? Would you stand with us as we close? Father, we, we come to you today, Lord, and we just ask you to look at our hearts, to look at our lives. God, a lot of us are going through this life trying to be the best Christian that we think we can, that we know how to be. We're doing a lot of things with good intentions. We're trying to raise these kids. We're trying to keep food on the table. God, we're trying to do our very best. But God, even if our very, in our very best we miss the mark of a relationship with you, God, then we're failing. God, if we're not leading our kids towards you, we're failing as parents. God, if we're not shining the light of Christ with our lives and the way that we live, then we're failing as Christians. And God, we just want to be obedient to you as a church. As individuals, and this morning, Father, I pray that you would just, through your Holy Spirit, prompt our hearts. God, show us our next step of obedience. God, maybe that's bringing our family into this church. Maybe that's coming into a relationship with you and being saved. God, whatever it is, we turn our wills over to you. In Jesus' name. This morning, if there's a decision that you need to make, whether it's salvation or church membership, or you just want to come and pray this morning, why don't you come as we sing a song of invitation?
Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast. Please subscribe, but also join us live in person on the Court Square in Barberville, or find us on YouTube by searching FBC Barberville, on Instagram at first underscore Baptist underscore Barberville, on Twitter at Barberville FBC, or on our Facebook page, First Baptist Barberville.